Campfire. Fireside Chats. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat, where we're beginning a new and exciting tradition. We have an honest-to-goodness roundtable prepared for your listening pleasure. Our guests? None other than beloved folk artist Christina Baker, or as you know her, the Crescent Hair. Podcaster, comic book artist, and actual human ray of sunshine Todd Purse. And the enigmatic Eastern Bloc mystic, the thinking man's Fortean, the man who never met an envelope he didn't only push, but cut into a million pieces and used to make paper mache bridges, because bridges are liminal spaces, Vuk. Needless to say, for anyone familiar with our glorious panel, this will not be a run-of-the-mill discussion about cryptozoology. So buckle up for a ride through a mystical land of fey lore, artificial intelligence, imaginal manifestations, and tulpas, tulpas, tulpas. All right, so we're doing something a little different this week. We're doing uh, more of a roundtable format, and I'm just going to have each of our guests today go around and introduce themselves. Todd, you want to you wanna go first? Yeah. Hi, I'm Todd Purse. I am stoked to be here. I draw a bunch of weird stuff and talk about it on a podcast called Great Magic Studios. And yeah, hi, everybody. Christina? Um, I'm Christina Baker. I'm an artist um, and a weirdo, and I like to draw weird things as well. Um, I've always kind of been into the weird stuff. So yeah, weird is cool, man. And finally, Vuk. Yeah, so you guys know me as Vuk or Darwin from uh, Tracing Owls and Darwin's Deviations podcasts. I've been on this show two times by now, so you should probably be already familiar with me. If not, go check out those episodes. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of the best episodes we ever did, in my opinion. For Uh, sure. So we're here today to talk about cryptids. Um, I, the four of us kind of share a, let's say, less than mainstream, maybe not less than, but different than mainstream um, idea or concept of what cryptids actually are. So I think I thought it would be cool to get all of us together to just kind of like touch base where everyone's at with it, because it seems like a constantly evolving, you know, we're all taking in new material and learning new things and our ideas are changing I seem like every time I talk to Vuk it's you know it grows the the definition the concepts behind it grows and changes over time Um, just like we left off our last episode and it was like what are we going to talk about next time and I was like well it depends on what (laughs) we're talking about in six months Um, and I think that that's a characteristic of something very not flesh and blood yeah the ability to change and be vague Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'd really like to just go around and if everyone could just kind of, I know it's such, like, a big concept, but, like, if you could just, like, give just, like, a a short summary of what a cryptid is to you right now. 
So, Vuk, if you want to start us off. Okay. Where are you at so, right now? <laughs> so where I am right now, and people may have noticed this on Instagram, I've been posting artwork that I have not made but was rather made by AI. This AI app that generates weird, dreamy, psychedelic artwork of things, whatever you put in the prompt. And I've been putting in the prompt things like Mothman and Flatwoods Monster and Bigfoot and Jersey Devil and stuff like that. And the AI does not generate, you know, the complete image of these monsters. It's just certain details that kind of associate with these monsters. So I'm left thinking, how does an AI recognize certain details that are able to convey what a certain monster or a cryptid is? And why am I looking at this just blob of nothing, let's say a black blob with two glowing red eyes and thinking, wow, that certainly is a Mothman. So my idea of a cryptid is something more, much more vague than the mainstream would like to think and much more psychological. And people have already heard me talk about cryptids being archetypes, uh, Jungian psychosocial archetypes within a social unconsciousness, these primordial symbols, primordial imagery that we pull off of and just fill in with our personal and cultural and historical contexts into a full form of a monster. Okay, so I I really like the the idea with the AI. The the idea that it has these specific these um sorry. So it has these specific aspects, these little details that it's kind of like the the picture version of you know how when they'll have they'll have like a full paragraph of words where the center letters are scrambled yes but you can you're still (laughs) able to read it yep right um it's like that it's like it's just there's just enough there and the ai knows what to put there to make a human being think mothman you know and to me that just proves how like archetypal these features are and if you, like, go through cases of, of people seeing the same cryptid over and over again, every time it's a different thing. Bigfoot has diff- a different uh, number of toes. Um, this changes even uh, geographically. So yeah. every state has a Bigfoot with a different uh, number of toes and fingers, <laughs> um, a different height uh, and whatnot. So are there, like, 50 different species of hominids? going around the United States or is Bigfoot an archetypal figure that everybody just fills the blanks in with their own cultural and and personal contexts yeah see um, another great example of that that I I always cite is the Ozark Howler is I mean it's basically the the big cats from from the UK and Ireland, that old lore, that hellhound, big cat lore, taken with people who settled in the Ozarks, and it's just adopted the features of local fauna. You know, it, they've just slowly filled in, filled in the gaps with so, what they can now yes. relate to. Now, I, I have something else to maybe mention there. I've been thinking like 
we're talking about cryptids, but are we also talking about cryptozoology? Because I think those should be two separate terms. As cryptozoology yeah. is a more flesh and blood approach and a pseudoscientific approach to studying cryptids, kind of legitimizing sure. them. Now, the thing is, uh, bio biology, biologists, you know, the scientific community ha does not want anything to do with cryptozoology. Yeah. Um, cryptozoologists want to legitimize cryptids as actual creatures, but what cryptozoology is using as its main material or, or source of information or whatever is what should be uh, referred to as ethnozoology. It's the study of the interactions between humans and animals, especially historical and anthropological ones. So, yeah. you know, back in history, like people, uh, different tribes in Africa had different uh, versions of what a gorilla is until the gorilla became legitimate. Yeah. Um, the the their versions of gorillas and the names they gave to gorillas were kind of ethnozoological constructs or folkloric constructs, and they are a cultural sociological thing. They are completely different than the animal, the biological species. Sure. So, in a way, these biological species exist like materially, biologically, but they also exist culturally and with different. Uh, groups of people yeah the, and the problem is with cryptozoology we don't have the um biological material creature to study so we cannot say it is a legitimate flesh and blood science but what yeah. it is actually is a social science though cryptozoologists don't want to acknowledge that yeah, I mean it's a it's a lens to view culture through. Yes, right? and uh, it's a it's a reflection of culture. It, it got me thinking, like when you look at folklore related to animals from centuries ago, the folkloric constructs were more similar to the actual biological species. But as time progressed, and now we are, you know, more uh, isolating ourselves from nature. And we are less and less in contact with these uh, animals. Our sociological folkloric constructs of these animals, what we'd call cryptids or, an or monsters, are kind of becoming more and more vague and more loose from the actual animals that maybe inspire them. Certainly getting stranger. Exactly. So right. the more we are insulating ourselves from nature, the more cryptids become a very vague uh, archetypal thing that we just fill in the blanks with ourselves. And in an odd way, that might be getting us closer to the truth of things. You know, the, the because you're stripping away the supposed flesh and blood inspirations and you're left with the, these pure social constructs. Exactly, and we're ex we're using these uh, archetypes to essentially like when little children play with action figures to figure out the world. We're using these archetypes to kind of figure out the world that we are isolating ourselves from. And it is so far from flesh and blood, real biological science now, and I have a biological background... Um, and maybe, maybe people would expect from me to be more like flesh and blood oriented. But the thing is, 
because I know the biology, I realize that what cryptids are, especially now in modern times, is m very far away from uh, biology and more close to social sciences. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Christina, where are you at on on cryptids right now? <laughs> um, I, to me, like when I create them, draw them, um, write about them, think about them, um, I try to give a little bit more natural nature to them. Like I'll come up with like a whole little backstory for each of my, each of them. And like they always have something natural or natural like involved with them. Like I try to make them look like they would exist. Um, like with the ice skadunk, I'm gonna bring this up because we've talked about it so much with, with how it looks like a seal and whatnot. Like for something like that, I thought about if this creature actually existed, how would its body look? How would it move around? You know, I tried to pick a creature that actually exists, like a seal, and then try to model off of that and what it would actually be doing in real life. Um, you know, some of my other creatures, like um, the squonk, like I tried to make that creature not weird and really grotesque and kind of uh, how... I feel like when other people do it, it's like a monster. And for mine, it was more of like just a little creature that could possibly exist who's sad as hell about everything. Um, so, yeah, I try to make everything that I do with them more realistic and not really realistic, but more natural. I try to sneak in magical elements whenever I can. You know, like I was going to say, it's interesting. And <laughs> I was going to say, it's interesting to me that you use, that you try to use like a, a realistic basis because I think of your art as very like magical and light and um, almost like, I don't, very fey. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like I try to kind of give them all the personality. Like I don't want to draw any of them where it looks like they may not exist. Like I want to make it where it's a possibility this creature could exist and it's a magical creature, you know? Right. So. Like this is something that could like step out from behind some bushes as you're walking through the forest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely get that vibe like, like that, but with three eyes. Yeah. Or right. four yeah. tentacles, yeah. a moon or two. So, yeah. I mean, is that, does that reflect your, your thoughts on cryptids in general yes. like is that's how you how you view them yeah like, um i view them like some people may view them as just like a creature that's in a book or a creature that was created out of mythology that us as human beings have created ourselves but when i think about them i kind of place my mind into okay what if this creature actually exists Okay. And that's how I try to look at it. Like, yeah, you know, I could be one of those people that are like 100% skeptic and, you know, oh, you know, this doesn't exist. You know, there was no such thing as Mothman. There's no such thing as Bigfoot or whatnot. But I tend to 
want to believe that they're out there if that yeah. makes sense because then to me that fits along in the lines of me thinking of them as like natural creatures yeah. and maybe mystical beings you know so okay. i hope i made sense <laughs> yeah it, it does it's i mean you're I, i've heard you say in the past that if any of them exist in in a you know material form it would be bigfoot right which is weird because i've never I, i've maybe started drawing bigfoot i've never done that's a bigfoot piece like a hundred percent interesting so and i maybe live in like a bigfoot area maybe that's the inspiration this round table is supposed to give you to finally you do go. a full bigfoot piece maybe who knows <laughs> i would be so interested in seeing how you would approach that honestly yeah like a lighter more i don't know happy <laughs> a, a very like, pacific northwest bigfoot um i feel like if i were to draw bigfoot bigfoot would look like they could be living in the woods and being like a caretaker you know what i mean like people are leaving their village to go do give an offering to bigfoot because Bigfoot's making sure that, you know, the trees are good and the animals are good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's how I would be drawing them, probably. Yeah, like father <laughs> of the forest, Bigfoot. Exactly. Like, you know, yeah. hey, I'm out here. I'm taking care of things. Leave me a, you know, a bushel of apples and we'll call it a day, you know? Yeah. So. See, that's why I always loved the, the Bigfoot sighting where he was supposedly wearing a flannel shirt. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. Yeah, because like I think of, you know, it helps you think of Bigfoot as like I don't know, it's like this mixture between Bigfoot and like um, groundskeeper Willie. <laughs> That's what I think of. Yep. <laughs> like, like he's just out there like taking care of business. Yeah. Like yeah. you know what? What is that joke? If a tree falls, does anybody hear it or something? Well, Bigfoot hears it because he's got to <laughs> be the one to drag it out of there. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, I mean, and he you has know. to stack them all in a vaguely TP-like yep. shape. Right? Yeah, yeah, lumberjack yep. Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah, I love. If that. he was here, he would be a lumberjack because they do a lot of lumbering <laughs> around here. So he'd be a yeah. lumberjack. That makes sense. But yeah, so cryptids to me are natural, magical creatures. So so okay, so more in line with like fey lore. Yeah, like. They're they're out there, but more more mystical. Yeah, because I mean, I kind of identify with that, and you know, I believe there are nature elementals out there. So, because you know, I feel like I've seen one. So, interesting. That's we I... should definitely get to that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird experience, but I think that's why I feel like moving back here being closer to nature, being closer to the woods and everything kind of influenced how I think about things like the Fae and nature elementals and cryptids and whatnot. So your cultural, your cultural perspective helped shape the identity of them? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I went from living in a city. I mean, I was born and raised here in backwoods, Pennsylvania. But then I moved away for 20 plus years and then I came back here and it kind of changed up a lot of things for me. So yeah, I would right. say so. Awesome. 
Okay, so Todd, what is um, where are you at on cryptids right now? I generally like your approach because it's kind of centered around creativity. So I, yeah, let's hear hear where you're at. That's pretty much the whole thing. Uh, So I kind of find myself in all of this, just like using it as a way to reimbue some wonder into the world. And whether it's uh, things more along the lines of what Vuk's talking about, which I find very like, uh, very brain stimulating or things closer to what Christina's talking about that I find just very like it almost resonates with me more like the the fey idea and that more natural stuff like it feels uh, closer to what like I started out thinking and I kind of find myself at the point where I like to leave space for it all because I just want to I just want to steal little imaginal nuggets and I think it kind of uh I think all of this stuff is related to imagination. And I think it's related to death and consciousness and all of that. And I don't think that that uh, makes the any of it unreal or real, if that makes sense. Like I think it leaves room for the corporeal flesh and blood and the uh, completely psychedelic interactions or cultural interpretations. And I don't think one necessarily excludes the other. And I, I love having conversations about getting to the bottom of it and meaning of it but i don't think that's ever my goal i think my goal is just to absorb this stuff and kind of use it for the imaginational fodder it is like these are just beautiful stories and i subscribe to the idea that we are all just made out of stories and that our myths and folklore kind of build the societies that we live in and the people that we are so it taking positive things away from the paranormal is something that means a lot to me and i think that there's a lot that can kind of be uh mined out of it from the imaginal realm if that makes sense so yeah i I don't really i stick with the uh robert anton wilson maintain agnosticism at all times and don't don't profess belief in anything but like experiment with it all use them all as thought as uh you know mind games and ways to expand your your brain and get at the real questions but yeah, yeah, at, yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think that. the yeah, I think the the biggest thing is just that it's uh it's something that's beyond like the relationships that it has is beyond this world. Whether it is like flesh and blood at points and not flesh and blood at other points, or is just completely psychedelic or in our brains or in our hearts or whatever, I think it can yeah. be all of it. See, I Ryan often calls accuses me of being a fence sitter, but <laughs> I. I but I love the I love that because I that's how I am I I want I like that maybe none of it's true but also maybe all of it's true exactly you know what I mean because there's such a wide range of theories about what you know what is behind Fortean phenomenon right and I I think they might all be true that's a part yeah. of my brain tells it- me maybe maybe everyone's right. Totally. And one of the things that, like, I still can get that same kind of wonder nugget, for lack of a better word, out of, like, (laughs) learning how our eyes work. Like, I use this as a recent example, but, like, just learning that part of our brains hang out of our skulls and connect to our eyes. Our eyes take light in, and then a chemical changes that light to electricity to make our brains understand. Like, what the fuck? Like, that is, like, one of the craziest things I've ever heard. And, like, that is as wonder-inducing as, like, thinking about the Earth communicating to me as a consciousness. Like, I think there's value in all of it. And 
I don't necessarily subscribe to one being all the way true or another being all the way true, but I subscribe to the the value I get out of it is the imaginal. It's that like yeah. wow, like that feeling when you're like eight and you look at that sky for the first time and you're like what is this stuff why do i feel so small and i feel like that's harder to achieve as you get older and whether it takes like more of a materialist way of achieving it or way more woo woo out there getting to that point is going to make your life more enjoyable and having that kind of wonder filter is like what people or what the people I like to talk to and like like to be around. And I think that can manifest in a bunch of different ideas and philosophies. And that's kind of what's really beautiful about it. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think a great example of that is I get just as much and the same kind of joy from the first couple episodes of Darwin's Deviations as I do <laughs> the later ones. Absolutely. Like the first couple <laughs> about these good. like... Yeah, but the, these these first couple that are about just these weird animals that I I, I had no idea existed before <laughs> totally. I listened to those episodes. I had no idea that they were on Earth. Yeah. And so I get the same joy of learning about those as I do hearing these crazy stories about Mothman. And you know what I mean? Yep. There was when me and Vuk first started talking. I don't know if you remember this, Vuk, but uh, we were talking about the guy hypothesis. Uh, on Instagram when we first started talking. And at one point I asked you like kind of out of nowhere, I was like, do you think there could still be like a flesh and blood, like Bigfoot out there, like from your biological background? Like I was just like, cause yeah. in my, yeah, in, in my mind, I was like, cause we were just going so far down the other road. I was like, I just want to like, I want to see what his response was. And at the time you were like, you're asking me about this. Like we're talking about these <laughs> giant picture ideas and you're asking me about like an ape in the woods. And I'm like, Touche, but yeah, I am because like if there is a giant like ape in the woods, that that is like as magical to me as like a bigfoot coming in and out of portals or being controlled by Mother Earth to communicate messages. Like I think right, that, that idea is really cool. Wearing too. flannel jackets, dude. Yeah. Okay, so when you said that, Christina, did you ever read the uh, Where the Footprints End books and or hear Timothy Renner's idea? Or so. Uh, Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchin wrote these books where the footprint ends. And one of the things they follow is how as society gets more modern, we, the Bigfoot or wild men lose clothes. So if you look at really old encounters with wild men, they have like full suits on or like yep. suits of armor and shit, or like they're dressed like wizards. And then as we get more modern, they go down to like pants or a flannel shirt and then nothing. Oh my so God. now where it's I'm just like Bigfoot completely... as a wizard. Yes, hundred percent. You know, Merlin. It. Merlin has a lot of background as a as a wild man, so it's wild very man, appropriate. Yeah. I, I didn't know that until the whole where the footprints ends and getting into those dudes' work, and that's my. I love that stuff where it's like those patterns of being like, wait, how come while we get more tech, like we're putting more clothes on and getting more like away from the nature, and this entity that's representing nature is becoming more wild that's uh, that's, that's magic. i think that's, that's why so cool. because the farther as a society the farther we get from nature like vuk and i were talking about earlier the the more mysterious it gets again yeah you know what i mean like totally the, the idea of a big wild ape in the woods is as crazy now as it as a hermit would have been to townsfolk and you know in medieval yeah. Europe. Absolutely. So I'm thinking now when you're mentioning Darwin's deviations and why you are uh, 
reacting to it, learning about these animals the same way as you would be learning about monsters. The thing is, with Darwin's Deviations, I was trying to create archetypes out of just animals. I was trying to bring the magic back to animals. Um, what cryptozoology does, on the other hand, is trying to bring back the animal to the magic. Right. <laughs> that's a that's, really... Yeah. yeah. That's, that's true. Really nice They're trying it. to, like, suck the magic out of it, right? Because they want it to be a legitimate... No, no. Well, the monster is, you know, the vague magical entity. And now what the cryptozoologists want to do is kind of solidify the monster, this vague monster, into an animal. Um, Richard Freeman uh, has a theory of the Mongolian death worm being a type of Sicilian, uh, uh, a legless lizard that lives underground. Yeah. Now, I think, like, the Mongolian deathworm has a whole, you know, historical and cultural context with the people who live in the Gobi Desert. Yeah. And what they perceive to be the Mongolian deathworm may be very different from what it actually is if it is a Sicilian, a legless lizard. But even if it is ever discovered as an actual biological species, the species is something else compared to the Mongolian deathworm. The species is not the Mongolian deathworm. It is whatever the species gets named. But yeah. the Mongolian deathworm remains the 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 cultural folkloric figure. I I okay, so we've talked about this in the past and I we've talked about how sort of cuz people, especially cryptozoologists like to cite these examples like the gorilla, right, where it was a cryptid and then it was discovered and cataloged and confirmed, I guess. Um, and we've talked about how that kind of, they kind of did away with all the folklore that preceded. I mean, they're, they're talking about the gorilla. They're not talking about the uh, cultural name of the cultural figure that stemmed from the gorilla. Right. I, I want to hear those stories. Exactly. I've, look, I've spent time looking and I can't really it's hard to find anything on stories about the gorilla before the gorilla was was officially cataloged and I, I would love to hear some of those because like you're saying it's two separate things right That that's why I think cryptozoology should start focusing more on ethnozoology and less on actual academic zoology right because they are doing do, doing themselves a disservice you know if they legitimize a species the mainstream science community just takes away the species from their hands yeah gives it a name and uh, then demystifies it and todd was telling me like the other day when you know the name of a demon then you have power over that demon. Well, if we give a species a name, we demystify it, we drain away the magic from it, and we now have power over it. While cryptids, which, you know, exist as cultural or mystical or magical creatures, have power over us as long as we do not fully understand what they are and don't give them a proper name. Yeah. That's 
yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me when we start talking about that idea. And I related that idea, Vuk, to my buddy who's a musician the other day, and he related it back to me through music saying that like he notices whenever he's like writing and he's hit that spot of that flow if he identifies it and says oh yeah i'm in it it's gone like as soon as you say like i got it like and i'm sure it's it's the same with drawing or writing like once you identify that you're in that creative space and in that flow it just goes it's just like you know we're not to be identified or to be uh replicated and do you think there's like you know, I think it's uh, George Hansen who talks a lot about the paranormal self-negating effects, like how it like makes itself absurd or like does these things to like make it harder to believe or harder. Do you think there's something to that, like that these things are just like, uh, you know, trying, <laughs> trying to keep themselves from us and trying to or trying to keep themselves at that mythological status to keep the control so we don't have the control like is there a battle for control <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i talked about that on my last episode how monsters exist on the borderlines of the known and the unknown and they are kind of baiting us you know the more you uh the more you discover the greater this circle around yourself uh expands the more this circle of knowledge the known expands uh, the greater the radius of the circle, and in that radius or borderline are these monsters. So, I don't know, the more they entice us to try and figure them out, the more of them there is. Yeah. Just as if you expand your house, the more walls you will have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes, makes a lot, lot of sense. Because the, the more you the more you know, the more you... The more you, you are aware know. of how much you don't yeah. know. Yeah. 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 Because exactly. now, now you have this borderline, this giant circle, uh, but, but a far greater radius of the unknown that you can view. So the more we uh, understand the reality around us, the more windows we have towards the unknown to see just how much we don't know. Right. It's, it's like a, it's like a, what is it a spider web like brainstorming map right yeah. like every every little bubble has a collection of bubbles that come from it but a lot of those are blank right and you have to go in and fill them in and every time you fill one in you have another basis for you know however many new bubbles surrounding that one so it just grows and grows and grows which makes sense why you know, before we started, Todd, you were talking about just the Wikipedia article on cryptids is insane. I mean, yeah. the ones that they they list hundreds and hundreds of cryptids, and it there's no way it was like that. You know, a hundred years ago. But think about it's, it. How how many archetypal cryptids do you know? Like, if you're going to use the AI I'm using, what cryptids are you going to write? Mothman, right. Bigfoot, Flatwoods Monster, Nessie. Nessie. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's <clears throat> yeah. only a handful of them, and everything else is kind of a derivative. Spider out from it. Yeah. 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 And so, how about so the jackalope? I, I wonder what the jackalope yeah. would look like in it. That's a great yeah. call. 
Great call. I, That's... I clicked on some of those links of like the cryptids on Wikipedia that I had never heard of before and was like, what is this thing? It looks like, like there's this one that looks like ghost pants but a whale and it's from Japan <laughs> and it says, the first thing it says is this was made in 2001 on the internet in Japan on two something, like some weird form. And I was like, oh. So that's included. Okay, cool. And I scrolled down. I clicked on another one I'd never seen, but had a cool picture. Same exact thing. It was like creepypasta and blah. And I'm like, so all the creepypasta stuff that I totally love the idea could still be real and tulpified and all that stuff. Sure. Like once it's out there, uh-huh. it can be experienced. If it's put out there creatively, I feel like <laughs> it can manifest in reality. But like, it's just wild that, like you said, that spider web to drill down what those bubbles are and like where they're coming from is the imagination of people on the internet like it's like like it's literally showing it's proving what we're saying kind of i mean it's funny uh, you should mention pants and uh, internet monsters because the fresno nightcrawlers are essentially meme monsters on the internet yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they're not. The... They're they're forest <laughs> protectors. They're little forest <laughs> elementals. That's not pants. Like, it's I their honestly, skin. I have, it's saggy. I have to, yeah, I have to I go team Christina like on Christina's this one. Better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think that's what I'm getting at is that I always like Christine. Like, that's the version I like is the Fae and the Natural and the Elementals. California Dark Watchers. I love that shit. I think that stuff is like the, like, it's the stuff that and the ideas that are like, you know, uh, magical rituals ripping portals into our dimension and allowing these beasts in by like people not. I love that stuff. The stuff that really rings true to me is more along lines of like what we're talking about and like what Book's been talking about. That's the stuff that like it resonates on a different level where it's not as it's like almost not as much fun for me. But it's like it's pre- yeah. Uh, I've I've mentioned this person several times in me and Book's conversation and, and every conversation I've had recently because I've been reading uh, a couple books by Jeffrey Kripal, but he um, is a super smart dude and says it way better than I'm going to. But he pretty much is like. When something is true, it's almost inherently kind of depressing. Like there is a there is a like sadness to truth, but that doesn't mean that there's not an overarching positivity to truth. It's just that like when, if something resonates too hard, it might not be the actual thing. And I think there's something to that. But like, yeah, sorry, that was a little. Yeah, even up. I said on your <laughs> podcast, like uh, maybe or or my podcast, like maybe there are multiple truths and maybe. We will never uncover the truth, but rather something that just resembles the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think, pretty um, accurate. In a recent interview, I was, I forget who I was speaking with, but I was talking about how um, I think that there are as many, as many realities as there are people, right? Obviously, their perception being reality. And I think that the same thing applies to cryptids. I think that like I have, you know, I had the three of you on to talk about what cryptids are to you because I think all three of your versions are real. I think they're all true. And that I think that people lose sight of that. Like the idea that just because you experience something a certain way doesn't mean that it's that that's concrete, you know? Um, there are people always talk about like, well, maybe what I see as blue as the color blue, isn't the, what, what you see when you, when you're looking at the color blue, right? 
But like, <clears throat> I think that probably applies to everything. It goes way everything. beyond that. Yeah, yeah, way beyond that. I agree. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, like, so, I don't want to draw the Flatwoods monster as an owl. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Unless you she's know, doing it for you. Though. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, but yeah. it's not me not acknowledging that it could probably just be an owl, a pissed off owl. But sure. in my mind, I kind of shut that out because I'm like, no, in my mind, it lives at the, as this creature named Francine, who is like a magical space switch. And she <laughs> works with the Fre- Fresno Nightcrawlers and everything. But um, when I'm reading things and when I'm talking with other people, it comes up like Vuk and I have talked about this. Well, yeah, you know, shit. She's probably just now. But in my mind, I'm still at that like level where I'm yeah. like, um, she's going to be magical, you know? So, yeah. And I think yeah. both those things are true. I think going back to what Todd said earlier, one doesn't negate the other, right? Because you know, that cultural idea, that idea of this like mystical space witch is just as real as, you know, the owl that inspired those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I wanted to uh, say, like us three guests are from talking about this from different perspectives, but we all symbolize something. Like I symbolize the culture and psychology. Um, Christina symbolizes the nature. Todd symbolizes the creative, imaginal, artistic. Now, where the cryptids actually are is not in the labels that we symbolize us three, but rather in the in-between spaces between all three of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it constantly shifts. Yeah. You know, like we go to the psychological and cultural. Oh, it shifts to the natural. You go to Christina. Oh, it shifts to the artistic. Yeah. And everybody's got three eyes. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. And, and I think it's good that it shifts like in yourself. Like, I think it's awesome that even Vuk, our brief, uh, interactions like I feel like both of us have changed our opinions like how you guys ended that last interview like we'll see where we're at in six months to do it. like these thoughts shouldn't be like it's the same way you shouldn't be who you were when you were 16 like these shouldn't be the like you shouldn't cling to this stuff this is stuff yeah. that you're supposed to grow with and it's supposed to grow with you and like I I, I think that's the real value and that that statement that it's the space in between is 100% correct because like if you're really looking for truth in any of this, there is good luck. Like there ain't no truth to nothing. Like as far as I can tell, but like that space in between the truth and the lies and the myths and the folklore. And like, that's the stuff that's really special. That's the stuff that, yeah, yeah. we are All that the gray like, area. And yeah, I feel and like the humans thing is, are the truth is probably really like one of you said depressing. Yeah. Like, I don't want to think about Braxy being an owl. No, <laughs> no, no. And- <laughs> Well, here's my perspective. Like, I, Christina, got you to convey this in the logo that you did for my show of uh, of an owl casting shadows of Braxian Mothman. But how I see it is a biological organism transcending uh, from a biological existence to a more uh, cultural, uh, abstract, imaginal existence. And it is very alchemical. I see... Uh, biological species transforming into a cryptid as an alchemical process. 
Right. And yeah. the thing is, like, bio in biology, with biological organisms, evolution takes quite a lot of time, millions of years. But if something transcends into a cultural existence, it no longer is susceptible uh, and no longer ha has to stick to the natural rules around yeah. it, but rather can evolve exponentially and spread from person to person and culture to culture and form what uh, Todd saw a list of a hundred different Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, that's I think spot it's on. A, it's a biological creature achieving immortality by filtering human experience with it through culture. Right? Yeah. And that's why there, it is ethnozoology. Yeah. yeah. The Dude, relationship so of okay. human and animal. Yep. <laughs> there... There's this really uh, awesome line of thought I was listening to. There's a um, a couple of philosophers I've been listening to, or authors, I don't know what the hell you call them, really. But uh, they were talking about how essentially rejecting the idea that we ever entered modernity, that we took all of these things from the past and we forced them into the fictional realm. And that gave them more power, more staying power. When we took them from the physical to the imaginal, it imbued them but what if we didn't do that what if they did it like what if the phenomenon chose to go from the physical to the imaginal and like right. was like nah this is better we last longer here we don't got to worry about like bleeding and getting hit by cars and shit <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't know i never thought about it until you just said that book but like because that's a line of thought i love like i really do think there's as much power in like the 2d stories and all that stuff as there is in anything like flesh and blood so it makes sense that like the, we're like oh the, we're advanced humans <laughs> the greatest problem biological organisms need to face is surviving enough to re reproduce yeah. um, and uh, via reproduction evolve and uh, when you transcend from a biological to a cultural existence you no longer need to take care of your own reproduction because the human does the reproduction for you that's right. so wow yeah which is like, I just, again, to go back to, you know, we spent a, a, quite a while talking about the Gaia hypothesis. And that's that's basically the core of that that we landed on is this reproduction, this spreading of life through through human beings, through through our cultural lenses. Right. Yeah. So, and yeah. even if we go into the galaxy, we're spreading germs wherever we go and germs yeah. are the essence of Gaia yeah physical and cultural germs and if we communicate with a distant civilization I mean we're never gonna reach them physically we're probably going to communicate with aliens via you know long distance means and if yeah. we do we are uh, uh, cross pollinating our ideas and if our ideas are a transcendent form of nature then we are spreading nature to them. Yeah. Basically creating like a guy in Labradoodle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a Labradoodle. That's why Christina's point of view is also very important because Christina said like natural and she has a very animistic view. We, we talked while we were pausing um, that these are characters, that these are nature elementals or nature spirits, and that's where where we started off with with yep. our belief systems. And now it is a good thing to see that we are coming back to that. Yeah, 
And I've seen a huge turn in that direction over the last few years, too. I think, in general, animism's coming back. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it has to do with a lot of the spiritual stuff that's coming back. Like, people are kind of stepping back, especially with, like, you know, COVID and everything. You know, we're stuck at home doing nothing for a long time. I think a lot of people revisited a lot of things about themselves and chose to go like the natural route and more spiritual natural route and i think that's you know how animism started to come back into view also just the the spread of basically when the spiritualist movement hit the west coast and got mixed with all the um like western buddhism Mm -hmm. and you know all the like yoga yeah. practices and and all that that i mean that exploded the idea of spiritualism in yes. in the US at least how do you guys think ai fits into all that so like you know animism is giving a soul to an inanimate object right like, like the attributes of a soul and like yeah. with all this talk of ai becoming conscious and all this stuff like do you think that's affecting the move to animism like our not only like our connection to nature but like how like we are interacting with objects that seem that should be soulless but seem to have souls all day long <laughs> like like my phone yeah. is my main connection to the to all the souls in the world right now and like i i think there's a, a mix of this like uh a, like you were saying christina like a revisiting to nature like almost as a rebuttal to this type of technology but i also think our interaction with technology has made us think things are more than things if that makes sense in a, in a weird way like it kind of is a I don't. I don't know enough if that yeah. makes any sense, but the, no, I've been I, thinking about I, that I a lot. Definitely, I could definitely see that. It, sort of the the rise of AI as like a a pop culture concept, I think, has really yeah. expanded people's idea of what consciousness could be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I feel like it's just. Yeah, I think it goes back to when you were talking about your art, Todd. As far as like, hey you know, people are going to catch on to AI and they're not going to pay me anymore for cool things because they're getting it cheaper because some robots like, Hey, Mothman, you know, (laughs) I I don't think, I don't think there's ever going to be a thing that takes off the human component. Like in design school, which wasn't that long ago for me, they would always be talking about how, you don't learn any typeset or anything because print is going away. In five years, they'll, you know, print won't exist anymore. You know, print is dead. Um, that yeah. hasn't happened, and that was like 10 years ago. So totally. I think with uh, me as an artist standpoint and like, um, you know, uh, you know, a na- natural, you know, a nature person, I think it's just going to it's going to be like NFTs. Like it's just going to keep, it's going to be part of the trend and the culture, but I don't think it'll actually cancel out anybody if that makes sense. So no, it totally makes sense. And I think what, uh, what I was getting at more is, and like, (laughs) yeah, when I said people are going to stop paying me, I mean, people that like, I think like overall in general, the, what I've, uh, the niche that I found myself, I don't think I really have to worry about that, but I think no. there's like, there's something that uh, is inherently um, I, I just kind of lost my train of thought on that, but 
yeah, I just lost it on um, that one. But yeah, late. I totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see, I could see like corporate art moving toward that for sure. If it becomes more cost effective and it's just as well received, why wouldn't they? Right. But they've and I think done about that historically, forever. and like, mm-hmm. well, so like, look, my main art history, whatever you want to call it, is uh, in the golden age of illustration, which was founded in Delaware in the Brandywine Valley, and that was when illustrators, painters, N.C. Wyeth, Howard Pyle, they were movie stars because they were defining fashion and everything else. As soon as photography came and magazines didn't have to pay thousands of dollars for paintings and they could get the same effect with photography, they didn't pay thousands of dollars for paintings. Yeah. Now, there's still so many amazing illustrators working in like so many different... Like It didn't destroy it, but it killed that main... That main cultural icon it it killed it like it made that all like it 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 dethroned it and i don't think it's a bad thing i think it's probably a good thing and it allowed for a lot of progress and different things to come in and i think ai is going to do that in a billion ways that we can't really perceive yet and like i don't think on a small scale it's going to make all artists go away or anything but i think as far as making a living as a working artist it will make it more difficult eventually and that's not necessarily a bad thing either because I have a whole lot of weird feelings about art and monetary things as some way <laughs> supports myself and my family creatively. But I uh, mean that that shift from painting to photography also shoved a lot of those rock stars into the underground and where I think they contributed more to culture from yeah. the underground than they ever did painting women in dresses for magazines. Yeah. No, you you're absolutely right. And like there's definitely a uh progression to it all. I just I find it interesting the kind of parallels to the um creative side. Like what Vuk's producing with these AIs, right? Like what you're doing, like when I look at something like that, I'm like, I couldn't do that. I don't know how you like <laughs> and you know, neither I don't could know. I. I'm just yeah, appropriating but the thing is, I am appropriating an interface that interacts with a collective unconsciousness that is already established. I'm mm-hmm. looking at these weird-ass things and thinking, this is a mirror to the collective unconsciousness. I don't need to take shrooms or, or LSD <laughs> to access this. I can yeah. just generate an AI image and think, wow. This shows me something not just about myself, but about us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine that technology applied to virtual reality. Yeah. I mean, oh, that yeah. literally you could replace psychedelics. I mean, is, aren't video games kind of uh, a form of psychonauting in a oh, way? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Just dropping yourself into this character and becoming it. Yeah. And living its life. I, yes. I mean, I I don't want to get too too far off. I think this has been awesome. Like we we're sitting at an hour, and like, man, I I know we could just keep going and going, but it's getting pretty late for everybody. Vuk, you're you've been up for what like seven hundred and thirty <laughs> hours or something yeah, at this 800. point. Yeah, Yeah. What time is it where you're at, Vuk? Okay, so now it is six forty a.m. Wow. I worked all night. I yeah. would have been up with my kids for an hour or two already. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, or I want everyone to say to tell the audience where they can find you, what you have going on to look forward to, all that. Todd, start us off. So you can check out 
my podcast, Create Magic Pod. I post daily uh, about the artwork that I make and post over on Instagram. You have you'll uh, you've probably heard an ad for it in the campfire episodes as of recently. Um, yep. I also just draw stuff and make things for people. So if anybody wants to reach out for some fun projects, I'm always open to that. Uh, yeah, greatmagicstudios.com is the easiest way to find everything I do. And thanks for having me. This was super fun. Honestly, one of my favorite Instagram follows ever. Oh, it's that's yeah, too sweet. That's awesome. Thank always you. like always like a bright spot in the day to see what you put out that day. The warm sure. fuzzies oh, are you. abundant. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. oh, <laughs> oh yes. Thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you all. Seriously. And that's I mean the same for time. your page, Christina. I like I've always been a huge fan of of what you put out. So thank you. You can go thank ahead you. next. Where where can the people find you? Um, I'm on Instagram under um, the Crescent Hair, all one word. Um, and then you can buy stuff from me on thecrescenthair.com. Got a couple cool things in there right now. Um, as far as what's going on next, um, I'm still gonna, I'm still working on some things with the Oracle deck. Um, I have a couple more ideas to work on. I have a book outline that I just did. Um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to stay low key because I've been in a major like art block, but I'm trying to plan ahead to kind of like lock myself back into it. So also you have to draw a Bigfoot as a wizard now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's going to (laughs) happen. Yep. Yep. So I did Flatwoods as a space witch teaching Fresno Nightcrawlers how to be magical. So then I need to do Bigfoot as a wizard. Um, teaching the other Fresno Nightcrawlers how to be magical, so I can make like a little series. Nice, yeah. I like love it. it. <laughs> I love it. Love I mean, it. I'd love, I'd love to see that story in comic form, honestly. Yeah. Well, each of my creatures have a story, a backstory. That's why I named yeah. Flatwoods Monster um, Fran- um, Francine. I mean, yeah. doesn't she look like a Francine? I mean, she does. She absolutely. She really like does, Francine. and you know that was a big name back then but all my creatures have backstories so i should that's awesome. me and vuk talked about this already i should write the stories down and accompany them with the yeah, illustrations absolutely. and whatnot it's on my list yeah. it's on my i list. mean that would make that would make a hell of a coffee table book to have yeah. like a full page illustration and then a, a story on the on the next page yeah i i would buy the hell out of that yeah i just honestly. gotta I just got to get to that point. Like my yeah. ADHD has been like bonkers. So fully understand, oh, you know, and life has been crazy. So, but I'm working on it. I'm working on Excellent. it. Excellent. <laughs> Vuk, where can the people find you? So uh, as always, you can find me on campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. <laughs> because Jordan wants to make a hundred episodes with me. Um, until then, yeah, until then, <laughs> Tracing Owls on, on Instagram, and I'm going to be diddling a lot with AI, not to pretend to be an artist because I am just an appropriator, and you should support your artists. Um, and yeah. AI is a great tool, it looks, it seems, to access the social unconsciousness. But not to create art, but rather to create a mirror to the subconsciousness <laughs> you've they also should been also working listen on... to darwin's deviations to be entertained yeah, yeah. educated also... entertained and pissed off somewhat 
Yeah. <laughs> You've also been working on revisiting those Darwin's Deviations episodes, right? Yeah, I'm I'm actually remastering the episodes because I learned quite a lot about editing since then. Um, yeah. And also, I'm kind of providing commentary on uh, each episode, what was going on in my mind. Because it was uh, more on that in the episode I did uh, for Todd's podcast, but it was a very alchemical, mystical experience for me creating yeah. that. That's And as yeah. a fan of the show, I'm, I'm so... I feel like the Star Wars nerds, when they finally came out with the DVD set with commentary... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to, like get that inside glimpse. Cause we've talked a lot about your experience making that show, but like, I know from listening to tracing owls that you're the only pure window into your thought process is when you're just sitting in front of a microphone by yourself. Yeah. And that, yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to really even, hearing, even like, if I am doing 10 characters at once. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And also links to everyone's everything will be in the longest show description ever. Just <laughs> go in there and everything will be there. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank That's, you. Yeah. I had a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. That's fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.